Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte clear liners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you could pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Man, that sunset is gorgeous. Grill, patio, sunset. Hard to get better than that. Unless you're browsing Carvana's inventory while you soak it all in. Oh, burger time. So sit back, get comfortable. Carvana's got thousands of cars under $20,000 just waiting for you. I could stay here forever. Carvana, where car buying meets comfort meets convenience. Download the app or visit Carvana.com today. Welcome to the Caixin Seneca Business Brief, brought to you by China. Each week, we bring you a roundup of the world of business in China from Caixin, China's authority on business and financial news, as well as interviews with Caixin Global reporters and editors. I'm Kaiser Guo from the Seneca Podcast. And I'm Ada Shen in Paris. First, our weekly review of business stories from Caixin. Rats. Literally rats. One of the most popular hot pot restaurants in Beijing is in hot water and under close scrutiny after a media expose allegedly showing rats and all sorts of other sanitation problems went totally viral. Now, city health officials want to know why workers at two of the Sichuan Heidi Laotain's restaurants in Beijing were using a ladle to clear super gross gunk from a kitchen drain and why they were washing dustpans in the dish sink. The municipal health inspector said the two-week inspection will cover all of Heidi Lao's kitchens in Beijing and its major food suppliers. It will examine each restaurant's business license, the sanitary conditions of the dishwashers and utility rooms, and will look into what measures the restaurant has taken to deal with rats and cockroaches. The Food and Drug Administration also downgraded Heidi Lao's sanitation rating. It ordered the chain to conduct a major overhaul and open all of its kitchens in Beijing for public visitation within a month. Wanda Group's shares plummeted as much as 10% last week over rumors, denied by the company, that its founder and chairman Wang Jianlin had been detained by Chinese authorities. The property developer released a statement saying that individuals with ulterior motives have created and spread various vicious rumors regarding the chairman of Wanda Group. Wang and other top executives at some Chinese firms have recently come under the spotlight due to their big deal-making in overseas markets. Those companies have spent billions of dollars on international purchases, including Hollywood studios and sports teams, which raised alarm bells from Beijing, worried about large currency outflows. The Chinese-flagged ship detained by Ecuadorian authorities in mid-August for allegedly illegal fishing off of the Galapagos Islands belongs to Fuzhou Honglong Ocean Aquatic, a private company, a private company registered in Fujian province, sources told Caixin. The vessel was caught by Ecuadorian authorities on August 13th off of the Galapagos uh, with about 300 tons of marine species on board, including nearly 7,000 sharks and other endangered species. 
An Ecuadorian court last week sentenced the 20 fishermen on board to jail terms ranging from one to four years and a collective fine of $6 million for illegally transporting protected species. Ecuador's Environment Ministry said the Chinese ship was fishing in the Galapagos Marine Reserve. The islands, about 1,000 kilometers west of Ecuador's Pacific coast, inspired British naturalist Charles Darwin's theory of evolution. Please stand by while this story evolves. Some of China Huishan Dairy's creditors, including the Bank of China, are escalating their opposition to the company's debt restructuring plan, several creditors have told Caixin. Earlier this month, Huishan, a Hong Kong-listed milk producer mired in billions of dollars of debt, proposed to pay creditors with stock so that they would recover portions of their debts. But more controversial is that the plan includes creating a new company that combines Huishan's current assets with other affiliated companies personally controlled by Huishan chairman Yang Kai. More than a dozen financial institutions in northeastern China accepted the initial debt restructuring plan. But a group of 189 individual investors organized by one of Huishan's creditors said they would reject any restructuring plan in which Yang continues to have control of Huishan. We believe the main responsible persons have major moral flaws and trust has been completely broken. We strongly request that the government conduct a thorough investigation to determine legal responsibilities, the investors wrote in a letter for Huishan and its creditors' committee. The letter also points out that Yang has not explained where more than $2 billion of missing funds are. Some of China's biggest cities have called a timeout on the companies responsible for crowding sidewalks with shared bicycles. Officials say the colorful rental bikes parked in long rows or thrown into huge piles outside subway stations, office buildings, and shopping malls are worsening rather than reducing urban congestion. Shenzhen, Shanghai, Zhengzhou, Hangzhou, and Nanjing are among the cities hitting the bike-sharing pause button in recent weeks. Guangzhou on Tuesday reiterated its temporary ban on new bike-share two-wheelers, reminding companies that they must stop adding the vehicles to street-side parking sites. The ban is to continue until companies devise better strategies for maintaining the already available bikes and clearing out abandoned ones that are encroaching on public space. Despite the ban, Guangzhou authorities said they have noticed 15 companies continuing to pour new bikes into the city, which is famously progressive and initially welcomed bike-sharing with open arms. One of the largest such firms, Ofo, has been among the worst violators of the government ban in Guangzhou, where the local resident-to-bike ratio has reached 15 to 1. Leading rail equipment maker CRRC is falling far short of its ambitious goal to use exports to offset slowing growth at home, facing headwinds from stiff competition, price pressures, and growing protectionist sentiment. CRRC has signed $3 billion in overseas orders so far this year, or just a third of the $9 billion it was targeting for all of 2017. CRRC set the high target after posting $8 billion in new overseas orders for 2016, up 40% from a year earlier, assuming the modest gain of around 10% would be easy to meet. Based on the 2016 trends, the $19 billion U.S. dollar target did not make any of us feel there was much pressure, a company insider told Caixin. But a number of factors have conspired to dampen overseas orders, including intense competition and pressure to deliver quality product at the kind of deeply discounted prices that have helped the company succeed in the past. CRRC was counting on exports to offset a slowdown in domestic orders, as China's massive spending binge on new high-speed rail lines 
and new urban mass market systems starts to slow after a decade of breakneck spending. That slowdown was apparent in the company's latest earnings report, which saw revenues dip and profit fall sharply in the first half of the year. Chinese police have launched an investigation into Guo Wengui after a female former employee alleged he repeatedly raped her, adding a new element into the sprawling cases against the fugitive real estate tycoon, according to the Associated Press. Police are requesting a second Interpol arrest notice for 50-year-old Guo, also known as Miles Kwok, no relation to me, for the rape claims by a 28-year-old former personal assistant. Guo and his representatives did not respond to repeated requests for comment. The latest investigation followed 19 major criminal cases initiated by Chinese prosecutors against Guo, with allegations including bribery, kidnapping, fraud, and money laundering. Police in central China opened the rape investigation in July, after the former employee told police she was plucked from her human resources position at Guo's real estate company in Hong Kong in 2015 and sent overseas to become his personal assistant. Over the next two years, she alleges she was raped by Guo several times in New York, London, and the Bahamas. She alleged he demanded sex from female employees as a test of their loyalty. Let's turn on to April Ma, reporter at Caixin Global. April, welcome to the podcast. So Caixin ran a story recently about a startup that did something in appallingly bad taste. They were using images of World War II-era comfort women from a documentary of, about sex slaves uh, to make animated GIFs or GIFs, the, the kind that are so popular on instant messaging apps. Uh, can you tell us what happened? So in order to understand the story, first there was this documentary about comfort women. And these are 80, 90 year old women who were victims of the Second World War. They were abducted from their villages during the Japanese invasion, where they were forced to serve as sex slaves. Um, and as you can imagine, they lived the rest of their lives in a lot of pain, not just physically, but also because they were shunned by their communities just because of the stigma of their situation. So this documentary maker went and traced back the survivors of this terrible experience and told their story for them. And this documentary it has been a box office success. So somebody thought it would be a good idea to take the retelling of this unthinkable trauma and turn them into animated GIFs. Yes, I think the overall idea is that they would be used in a very light manner. And images of these women sobbing or covering their faces or staring into space with tears in their eyes were paired with dancing characters with uh, remarks such as, I don't know what to do, or I'm at a loss for words. Well, hell, I'm at a loss for words. So how's the public responded to this? The public was outraged and it was and they were appalled that they could uh, treat such a serious matter with so little respect. And so what's ended up happening to the company that made these? Eventually, the company that made these stickers was forced to apologize and they were asked to stop their operations for two months by the Shanghai police. But I think it's worth noting that the Shanghai police would not have been aware of this matter had it not been the wide discussion and media reports about the inappropriateness of what the company was doing. April, I have to ask, why the fuck 
would a company make these wildly inappropriate stickers in the first place? Uh, well, first you have to understand that stickers are a very staple part of messaging, especially in Asia. And stickers can convey meaning that it's difficult to put into words, or it's a very subtle way to end a conversation. So people have a very large appetite for new stickers. And there are companies out there that constantly make these new stickers, and the ingredients that they use are usually characters or screenshots from very popular and trending TV shows and films. This sensitive film was just among one of the many popular films that the company thought would be a good resource to use for stickers. Well, thanks for that, April. Uh, let's go over now to Doug Young, senior editor at Caixin Global. How are you, Doug? So this week, we're talking about Alibaba and its efforts to build business offline. What's going on here, Doug? Well, the story is that Alibaba's rolling out some sort of a, a seems sort of like a package product that will allow all these mom and pop convenience stores, which there are quite a lot around, um, to take, you know, to use Alibaba's online platform. And then also, I think there's some packaging and decorations involved to sort of, it looks a bit like a quasi-franchise model. It'll basically allow these mom and pop stores to say, we're T-Mall affiliates or, you know, we're we're a member of the T-Mall Alliance or something because T-Mall is Alibaba's big online shopping mall. So they'll be able to get you know, a pack, not packaging, uh, but decorations, I guess, whatever you call it, um, uh, to, to put inside their store. But more importantly for them, they'll also be able to access Alibaba products that they get, you know, can probably get for big bulk discounts and also Alibaba's online product content management, I guess, whatever you call, you know, basically it helps these guys determine which, which of their products are selling best when they need to restock, you know, sort of like the big chains all have these kinds of systems, but it'll allow the moms and pops to get in on this kind of system as well. But I thought conventional retail was dead, right? Killed at the hands of Alibaba. Uh, so why is Alibaba actually getting into this? Well, I think traditional retail from big stores is dead, but I think a lot of people are realizing that convenience stores is a different story because convenience is really a different kind of retailing. Uh, E-commerce is stuff that you think about, things that you need in your daily life. Uh, convenience stores tends to be much more impulse buying. I'm thirsty. I'll go grab a drink. Uh, oh, I forgot. You know, I'm having five guests over and I, I forgot to get some candles. You know, it's not e-commerce e you know, requires a time lead and convenience stores tend to be very last minute impulsey kind of stuff. So I think there's probably, you know, room for both of these kinds of retailing in, in the world. And then also for Alibaba and, and JD as well, um, these convenience stores, I think they're discovering are also very good pickup points because some people you know, don't live in the best, easily most accessible areas. Um, maybe there's no guard at home to receive a package for them. So these convenience stores are located all over the place and, and people can have e-commerce packages delivered to those stores, the one that's closest to their home, and then go pick those up. So what I took away from that is that you buy candles when you have guests over, which is kind of creepy, Doug. Anyway, you mentioned JD.com. What are they getting into offline? Well, JD is apparently opening its own, or they've announced plans to open their own brand of convenience stores. They're 
looking a little more traditional in that they're just opening their own, whereas Alibaba, it, it actually sort of speaks to their different business models. JD <clears throat> tends to sell everything to consumers directly, uh, whereas Alibaba likes to be sort of the facilitator that allows third parties to sell stuff online to people. Uh, and this is sort of what they're doing with this convenience store model is they're facilitating, you know, the upgrading of, of uh, all these mom and pop stores into sort of more sophisticated stores that can better manage their inventory, uh, you know, have better decorations and, and, you know, really be a much more attractive proposition to, to shoppers. And, and do you think these stores are, are going to be at all interesting to consumers? Um, you know, the, the, the proof is in the pudding. We'll have to see how the concept works. It, it sounds okay in theory. Uh, plenty of people like to franchise, you know, McDonald's. Um, so, you know, and the franchising model is, is a pretty proven model. Uh, these, I think these shop owners are going to be watching closely, and they'll probably be looking at other people who do it and say, gee, is it improving their sales and also at the same time they're going to be watching to see if their rivals maybe do it and they lose business to their rivals because maybe these newer stores will have better managed inventory they'll be cleaner they'll be brighter they'll have the familiar team all name um so i think a lot of store owners will be watching it and it's going to be one of these things that could be a domino effect if a few people find success in it then everybody might rush to follow suit you know for fear of getting left behind uh, Doug Taishin also had a couple of stories about the new energy car industry so tell us what's up well the first of the stories is a pretty straightforward story at least on the surface it looks pretty straightforward uh, we have the Renault Nissan Alliance these two companies are they own each other's shares, so they often act in tandem. Um, but we have this alliance forming a joint venture uh, with a, a Chinese company called Dongfeng to make electric vehicles or new energy vehicles. And in this case, <clears throat> it's really just for the China market. And essentially what they're going to be doing is they're going to be pooling their money and essentially Dongfeng already has its own EV program and I suspect this particular joint venture is going to just essentially take Dongfeng's electric vehicles and, and start marketing them under the joint venture name rather than under Dongfeng's name. So that's one thing. Then the other one, which in a minute you'll see why these two are sort of intertwined, but uh, the other one has uh, uh, some sources telling Taishin that apparently this, this energy, this, this quota system for new energy vehicles that China was going to roll out next year is being pushed back a year and it won't take effect until 2019. And this system was basically requiring all car makers to sell a, a certain percentage of their vehicles as new energy vehicles starting next year. Um, but now that requirement won't get started until 2019. So it'll give the companies another year to sort of prepare for this. So what's the common thread here? Okay. The, the common thread is that basically Beijing wants to really promote these new energy vehicles. Uh, they're 
several reasons for them, but the two that I usually list are one is pollution. Uh, these new energy, obviously, are much less polluting than the traditional ones. And then the other reason is that you know China wants to move up the value chain and make products that are high tech rather than just you know low tech clothing and play toys and stuff like that. Uh, so you know this new energy stuff is pretty cutting edge. So they think if we can develop some real leading edge stuff in new energy vehicles, we could export it. Uh, and, you know, it's probably true, probably fair enough. So uh, that's why China really wants to promote this stuff. But, of course, China is sort of going in and doing it in its very command fashion, uh, basically telling all these car makers initially that they had to start making, it was almost 10%, it was something about like about 10% of their vehicles, were uh, vehicle sales were going to have to be new energy vehicles starting next year. And that's big numbers, you know, for companies like Ford and GM uh, that, you know, are selling anywhere from a few hundred thousand up to a million cars a year. You're talking, you know, 100,000 EVs from companies that have no EV sales right now. So as you can imagine, the, the, the companies were all freaking out about this. And they've all started forming these joint ventures because they have no electrical uh, vehicle manufacturing capacity in China now. And that's what you're seeing with that Renault-Nissan alliance. Um, we've also seen other joint venture announcements from Volkswagen. And then we saw one from Ford last week. But anyhow, the companies are freaking out. They're rushing to sign these new new joint ventures. But even all that said, you know, China's electric car vehicle sales are not anywhere near the levels they would need to be to meet these quotas. So uh, it seems like the companies have been, you know, complaining and panicking and and pr- voicing protests to to Beijing all this time. And now it sounds like the the central leaders in Beijing are finally saying, okay, maybe we were being a bit too aggressive. We'll push the program back, and it won't start till 2019. Well, thanks for that, Doug. And that's this week's show. Thanks for joining us. Drop me an email at kaiser at subchina.com with your feedback. The Caixin Seneca Business Brief is powered by SupChina and is produced, recorded, and edited by Kaiser Guo with stories from the staff of Caixin Global. Thanks, of course, to Ada Shen. Special thanks to Li Xin and Tanner Brown of Caixin Global and to Spring and Autumn and Wu Fei for the music. Be sure to check out the Seneca Podcast, the current affairs show I host with Jeremy Goldcorn, and follow the news from China every day at SupChina. Sign up for our free email newsletter at subchina.com. Take care. <laughs>